Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. In this episode, we discuss England's woes, the relief of MLS finalizing its new media rights deal, well, Almost. Our thoughts and insight about the 16 cities named to host the 2026 World Cup. And Peacock is ready to spring a surprise. My name is Christopher Harris, and I'm joined by my co-host Kartik Krishnayar. Kartik, it's been just a massive week, so much going on. Um, we, we waited until Friday to record this episode because we, we wanted to kind of partly, I mean, definitely to, to wait until the announcement of the 16 cities for the World Cup in 2026. Also to kind of uh, take stock of what's happening this week with the MLS deal, which we'll get into in a little while. Um, there's a lot to dive into. We could probably do a two-hour episode on the MLS rights deal alone. We're not going to. I, th- I think in many ways uh, we'll give our initial thoughts. Uh, and there'll probably be a series of articles in the coming uh, days, if not weeks, in regards to this, because there's a lot to get into. But before we go there, Kartik, let's talk about uh, the 2026 World Cup. Um, it seems so far away. Uh, but in some ways, it's almost here. I mean, we've got the announcement, the 16 cities. Um, let's just go through those real quickly, too, for any uh, listeners who uh, are not up to speed on terms of who got them, uh, who got uh, the hosting rights. So in the West, it's Vancouver, Seattle, San Francisco, Bay Area, uh, Los Angeles, and Guadalajara. Uh, in the Central area, it's Kansas City, Dallas, Atlanta, Houston, Monterey, and Mexico City. And then on the east, it's Toronto, Boston, Philadelphia, Miami, and then New York, New Jersey. Kartik, what's your uh, initial thoughts when you uh, got the announcement or heard heard the 16 cities? Uh, Any surprises here? Or can these things perhaps change in the future? Uh, Yeah, a number of surprises. Uh, I do think that it's... uh the uh, uh, calling Atlanta Central is kind of generous, and Guadalajara, the West, uh, they did that. I think to balance uh, the regions, they are thin in 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 the Central in particular. But um, a couple of surprises, I think. Uh, first off, Boston getting in over Baltimore, Washington, was a was a real surprise to me and to many others. Uh, it felt like in the run up to this announcement. Uh, Washington not submitting its own bid uh, because you, you could have used the stadium in Landover. You could have 
done something else, maybe Nationals Park, but the National Capital Region getting behind a joint bid uh, for Baltimore, right, for, for uh, uh, the Ravens Stadium in Baltimore, where, in fact, there'll be uh, a, an Arsenal Everton friendly in less than a month uh, from this recording. Uh, that felt like a pretty solid bet to be in the top 10 or 11 U.S. cities, right, that we're going to get picked. And Boston looked like it would be on the outside looking in. The others that I think people were questioning whether they would be in or out, uh, the ones that were in were Philly, Houston, and uh, uh, Kansas City. Now, I think Kansas City got picked based on the need for geographic balance. Um, This thing looked a little bit like a barbell. Uh, to be honest with you, in the U.S., if you don't get uh, Kansas City, maybe Cincinnati in there, which they didn't pick Cincinnati. It, it, it seems very coastal heavy, very kind of elite heavy, if you want to you know, go another direction in terms of the places chosen. Um, Nashville not being picked was a little bit of a surprise to me. That wasn't a city that necessarily or a venue that was talked about a lot in terms of being in that top 10 or 11 in the U.S. Uh, However, um, I thought that they had a lot of intangibles working for them. They are also a hot city now, meaning in 2022, what we see in 2022 in Nashville may not be what we see in 2026. Uh, It's a city that's really emerging. It's It's a locale that's really emerging as an international destination. Orlando, maybe we can get into this uh, in in, in a minute. I have a lot of insight on the Orlando bid. I have more insight into the Orlando bid than I do into other um, uh, city bids. And uh, I'm disappointed they weren't picked personally, but I can understand why that decision was made. Um, And then I think in terms of Canada, um, Toronto is uh, a must and we know how the Women's World Cup went, remember, in 2015. It was great, but they didn't, they didn't play matches in Toronto, remember. Um, and that was a, a, a real source point, point. Toronto is the most cosmopolitan city, I think, in the entirety of the Americas. So if you're going to have a North American World Cup and you don't have matches in Toronto, in spite of the, the, the capacity of the stadium being significantly less than any of the other stadiums chosen, then you really don't have a North American World Cup, in my opinion. So really glad Toronto got chosen. Uh, Vancouver, Vancouver and Seattle were um, also there was some discussion about that. But if you if you rank the U.S. cities, I think the consensus was you would have um, the four consensus picks really were New York, New York, New Jersey, Los Angeles, Miami, and Seattle, believe it or not. That was the other consensus pick if you talk to people in the game. Um, the top three are very logical, right? New York, uh, L.A., Miami. But um, the fourth being, uh, uh, although I was less, bu- uh, I'm less bullish on Miami than everyone else is, but maybe that's uh, local, local bias or local uh being jaded locally um but seattle was on that list of 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 the kind of four must cities in the u.s along with la new york miami so logically then vancouver um has has an edge over montreal also if you go uh edmonton had pulled out if you go montreal you go ottawa you're going really northeast heavy again with the selection of boston which probably to me is the biggest surprise. So if I have to say one big surprise for me is the selection of Boston, which again, let's remind the listeners, is actually Foxborough, which is in many ways easier to get to from Providence than from Boston over Baltimore. Um, and I and I, I don't think that's, I, I'm going to say this on the record, Chris, I don't think that was the right choice. I would have picked Baltimore. 
Yeah, Boston, you have to wonder in terms of uh, just the Kraft family and, and their influence within U.S. soccer and Major League Soccer, if, if that had something to do with it. Um, that one does seem like the kind of the, the, the one that sticks out as kind of the strange decision. I mean, the, the, the key about this, too, is that um, I'm not a big fan of Gillette Stadium, but the key is, is that all these sta- stadiums will have natural grass. So um, they'll have to put natural grass on a lot of these stadiums. Um, the other thing about this, though, too, Kartik, is, uh, I mean, with the uh, no Rose Bowl in Los Angeles, so instead it's going to be at the uh, SoFi Stadium in Englewood, California. So um, right now the width of that stadium is not FIFA regulation. So they're going to have to figure out removing seats or, or something. So it's going to be narrow for sure. Oh, oh, yeah. I should mention, Chris, sorry. When I say uh, L.A. was one of the four cities along with New York, Miami and uh, Seattle that were assumed, it was assumed by most of us that it would be the Rose Bowl for that reason. And uh, that's another complication. That's probably, another, that's probably the ultimate reason why Baltimore wasn't picked. It's a very tight, um, tight fit for a regulation pitch in that stadium. So question for you, Kartik. Uh, based on history in the past, in terms of uh, countries hosting World Cups um, and looking ahead to 2026, a long ways off, a lot of things can happen. Is there any possibility that any of these cities could change or something, uh, the 16 could, could actually not be the final 16? Yes. So um, in 2009, I was on a call, you might have been on it too, with Sunil Gulati, where the U.S. was bidding on the 2018 and 2022 World Cups. They had finalized their stadiums, if you remember, for the bid. For twenty for, for for those World Cups, Chicago was left off, but specifically to Chicago, uh, which got passed up, I believe, in that bid for Indianapolis. Um, Cincinnati had not emerged yet. Cincinnati has emerged very late as a, as a kind of a soccer hub. Uh, Sunil Gulati said very openly, look, if Chicago gets their bid in order uh, before 2018 when we presumably host, we would probably make that switch. Uh, He didn't say it directly, but he left the door open at that point. So, again, um, Chicago, because their stadium isn't big enough by the standard uh, maybe that FIFA wants. And as I said, Toronto, they had to to have Toronto host. So Toronto could get away with a tiny stadium, uh, which, by the way, will probably be the best atmosphere in this World Cup uh, at BMO. Uh, I do think that's a sore point for me, that Chicago is not hosting. Now, maybe something changes between now and 2026, that Chicago, which is... Uh, historically, the second city in the U.S. obviously has fallen behind L.A. as the second city the last uh, 20 or 30 years. But it's historically, you know, it's one of the three major metropolitan areas in the U.S. If you say that there's three huge metropolitan areas not hosting. And it's also the home of U.S. soccer. Uh, I think it's a little bit of a sore point. So whatever precedent there is, I would love for Chicago to get back in the mix. Whoever's ex- whoever uh, expense that's at, um, I would love to see that happen. But realistically uh, there have been some changes i would have to refresh my memory chris through the years but it's generally set at this point uh, yep. maybe one change at most yeah it's unlikely but i mean we've seen in previous world cups 
Uh, I mean, this is something we would not want to happen, but there's been natural disasters. Colombia was supposed to host the 1986 uh, World Cup, uh, and there was a natural disaster with earthquakes, and it ended up having to be Mexico hosting that tournament, and, and so on and so forth. There have been examples where there have been changes. It's unlikely. I mean, this looks like the, the final 16. Um, I agree with you, with Chicago missing out. That's a, a major U.S. city. Uh, I would have loved to have Nashville included. Uh, perhaps surprisingly, with, with such a large tournament, 48 teams, um, only 16 cities, and only two from Canada. So I was surprised by that. I thought that Canada might have gotten the third one, but then it, that would have taken away from the United States. Um, but there's plenty of love to go around. And, and FIFA says, too, that even for the cities that uh, did bids but did not get the uh, the award of the host cities, um, many of those will be included in a lot of the, the World Cup festivities. I mean, there's going to be so much going on. If you go back to 1994, there was just so many events and, and concerts and, and things happening to, to really bring the whole country together. 2026 is going to be fantastic. And, of course, Canada and Mexico, too. Well, uh, it's, it should be great. Let me mention that part real quickly, a follow-up on that part real quickly, because one of the things that I'm told was a weakness in the Orlando bid. Uh, Orlando may be the city, uh, well, it's the closest to you. It's sentimentally the closest to me, even though I live in the Miami area. Um that that issue of downtown and what you do in terms of crowds and street festivals and that sort of thing was more of an issue from Orlando when you compared it to Nashville, Atlanta, and Miami in the southeast. Again, Miami was pretty much in. It was one of the locks. But when you compared it to Atlanta, which got in, uh, maybe somewhat surprisingly, over uh, Orlando, Nashville, and Nashville, which didn't get in but but had a had a leg up in this, was uh, downtown and the ability to accommodate crowds and do the sort of things that FIFA uh, and that tournaments now are based around. Uh, really, since this thing really took off with Germany, tw- tw- two thousand six. Uh, that kind of changed the trajectory of how World Cups are in major cities. Um, so the U.S. previously hosting in 94, that was a different world. That was also a smaller tournament, 24 teams. Uh, France, 98 maybe was the start of it with 32 teams. But um, I'm told consistently Germany, 2006 was the model. Now, one thing Orlando felt was working in their favor was that they have a high-speed train line, the only one in the United States, higher-speed train line, the Acela kind of is between Washington and Boston via New York, but less so uh, between Orlando and Miami that will be online before the 2026 World Cup. So uh, with Miami presumably a lock, which it was, uh, having that sort of infrastructure connecting Orlando to another host city, which you don't have in any other host cities uh, in the U.S. or Canada, uh, Mexico, I'm not sure about their rail situation. I'm guessing they don't have it either. But um, in the U.S. and Canada, for sure, uh, they thought was a major plus for them. But uh, obviously, these other drawbacks, in addition to their stadium probably being arguably the worst of the 16 uh, that were uh, bid on by U.S. But US finalists, uh, that, that killed their bid. But I, I do think they will have some part to play, as will, uh, real quickly, Chris, before we move on, as will other cities that were not finalists. There will be a number of cities now, for those of you who are not familiar with the process, that bid on... Um, knowing where the matches are, Atlanta, Miami, uh, Philadelphia, et cetera, et cetera. There will be a number of other cities and locales that bid on having being hosts for teams. 
uh, for forty of uh, of the forty eight teams that are not hosts of World Cup matches. So there are places I know uh, uh, in Florida that are going to turn around now that Miami has been awarded uh, hosting rights that are going to say, "Hey, uh, uh, set up shop in." I'm just giving a, a an exam a potential example. Set up shop in Palm Coast in Flagler County, Florida. If you're playing in Atlanta, you know maybe you have a match in Atlanta and you have a match in Miami. So that's going to be the next thing to watch. So uh, this tournament will include people, uh, uh, locales that were not selected uh, in the finals in the U.S. Canada, I'm not as sure because Toronto and Vancouver are like seven hours. Yeah, seven hours apart by plane. Maybe it's not going to be the kind of national event it will be in the U.S. Yeah, yeah, but Canada is going to be in it, so it, it's definitely going to be in terms of on, on the streets, just just a, a you know, huge passion already for twenty twenty two. It's building in Canada um, as it is in the US, and and it, and I think in many ways too that um, the interesting thing about this Kartik, actually, I'm not sure how much attention you paid to the actual television coverage, but I was interested to see that Telemundo and Fox Sports were basically teamed up on this joint broadcast. Um, it was from uh, 30, 30 Rock, Rockefeller Center in New York City, where they did uh, the, the actual studio and, and the, the hosting of the announcements uh, with uh, Gianna, Gianni Infantino, the uh, FIFA president, and you know, Rob Stone and Lexi Lalas. But you had Andres Cantor and uh, Anna Yurka from Telemundo Deportes. Not only were they were from Telemundo Deportes, it was a... Um, a simulcast uh, broadcast, so uh, the same th- uh, visuals you're seeing on Fox was the same visuals you were seeing on Telemundo. But I thought it was interesting that the Telemundo's broadcast was, I mean, you had Andres Cantor and Anna Yaruka speaking mostly in, in English. And then if you watch the Telemundo coverage of uh, the actual broadcast, it was, it was dubbed in Spanish. And I, I thought that was interesting, Kartik, because maybe that gives us a, an idea in terms of Telemundo and Fox both know that you know, they've got the 2022 World Cup, they've got the 2026 World Cup. Why not work together, minimize costs, kind of share some best practices and actually work together to help each other out grow the game? Do you think, do you think that's it or do you think it's more other reasons? I think it's probably a little bit of both. I think there are some synergies, and uh, cost cutting uh, is is probably uh, very, very uh, important for both of them. When you consider, so also consider this: when we have a tournament in the United States and Canada and and Mexico in 2026, you've got Fox based in Los Angeles, right? You've got Telemundo based in Miami. Those are both host cities. They can actually um, Telemundo can utilize Fox's um, uh, infrastructure on the West Coast uh, and, and, and maybe uh, in Mexico, Monterey, Guadalajara for their for their benefits, and similarly, same thing going the other way uh, on the East Coast with uh, with uh, Telemundo. Now, the irony is of this: most major broadcasters in the United States are based in New York. These are two broadcasters that are not; they do not have their setups uh, in New York. So that's a little bit of an irony uh, when it comes down to it. But yeah, I think there'll be some synergies. I had actually speculated about this, uh, not uh, publicly but privately with people regarding Qatar. Would there be, because of the timing of the World Cup, because of the length of the World Cup, it being kind of contracted, and the circumstances, would Telemundo, which is owned by NBC Universal, of course, um, would there be some sort of um, synergy attempts to work with Fox? Those two um, uh, networks have worked 
together before on various things. Obviously, they compete on far more than they cooperate on. But uh, you do see these sorts of odd cooperations based on um, uh, on circumstances around tournaments. I mean, I, I guess yeah. the most notable example is the NCAA tournament uh, with uh, with CBS and and, and Turner. But uh, another example is the Masters tournament in golf, where um, ESPN and CBS cooperate, um, and so on and so forth. So that's uh, um, that. And and previously, when ESPN had the early rounds of the U.S. Open and golf, although now this year I notice it's all on USA, which means NBC has monopolized the whole thing. But uh, there's but there are precedents for this. Yeah, and, and it makes sense though to make the announcement uh, in the the media cap- capital of the world, New York City, and like you said too, with Telemundo having offices headquarters in Miami and uh, Fox in Los Angeles. Okay, let's do it in New York, and NBC sp- uh, studios uh, have their studios there in Rockefeller Center in Manhattan. Uh, so do it there, and then share best practices. Kind of share, share, work together hand in hand. Now, when it comes to the World Cup in 2022 in November, you can you can bet that they will be they'll be battling side by side, actually against each other because it's a ratings war at that point. Telemundo trying to get as many viewers as possible. Fox at the same time do, trying to do the same thing too. So I think once we get to the tournament, there'll be less kind of uh, niceties, and then it's going to be more kind of full on. Hey, let's do the best we can and try to beat the other one. So, Kartik, that's the, the World Cup uh, for 2026. Um, it's starting to get exciting now that we know the city's there. Uh, in regards to another big announcement this week, and this was something that we've been, gosh, almost probably we've, be, we've been talking about this topic for, I'd say, over a year. And that's the MLS TV rights deal. Actually, probably longer than a year, probably closer to a year and a half to two years. We knew it was coming. And... Um, Originally, the expectations were that it was going to be the fall of 2021 uh, when it would be announced. But at that time, um, I think it was uh, actually Fox and ESPN uh, said, hey, and, and CBS at, at the time said, hey, we're not ready to have discussions right now. We want to wait until after the Premier League, uh, Premier League TV deal is done. That was done. Uh, and then... The, the talks continued and they dragged on. And we had a, a conference call with Major League Soccer in February, I believe it was. Uh, Don Garber saying that he hoped to have everything finalized by the end of March. And here we were, uh, middle of June, still waiting, nothing. I mean, basically a lot of uh, reporting done by us and The Athletic and Sports Business Journal, among others, uh, in regards to our sources and what they were telling us and kind of uh, blow by blow. Uh, and this has been a long, drawn-out fight. And Kartik, we're finally there. Uh, MLS this week made a big announcement. Um, basically, they're going with the second biggest, uh, most valuable company in the world, Apple TV and Apple. Uh, and the way it works, just for those who are listening that may, may, may not have gotten all the details yet. So uh, MLS will have a streaming app that will live within the Apple TV app. And that will begin in 2023. They will have global rights. Apple will have global rights to Major League Soccer uh, every single game from 2023 onwards for the next 10 years. Now, the part that hasn't been uh, determined yet is the television side, the linear side. We'll get to that in a little, little bit. But overall, what was your initial take, Kartik, when you heard the news and got all the details Um was it was it, were you optimistic, positive? What was your initial reaction to the, to the news? My initial reaction was very, very positive, and 
since then, I've had a little uh, some walkbacks based on my own introspection and also uh, some reporting I, I can give. Now, first off, Chris, you, you may you may have reported this also. Uh, I'm told ESPN did not make a bid for the uh, um, streaming. The, for the streaming, yeah, for the local local game component, what Apple got, which kind of shocks me given that that has lived within uh, MLS Live, as it used to be known, has lived within ESPN Plus for now, what, five, four or five seasons? Yeah. Um, so that, that surprised me. The, se- the second thing is I think uh, that my initial optimism, which was really about MLS um, – linking up with a brand like Apple, with a name like Apple, and seeing Tim Cook tweet this out, and Tim Cook appear with uh, Don Garber. And you can't, you can't buy that sort of credibility and publicity. So that's still a big win for MLS. I'm not saying it isn't, but I maybe got moved um, at uh, noon, noon Eastern time on Tuesday, 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 when this yeah. happened. Um, too much by seeing that and thinking this is uh, this is amazing. This is great for MLS. Uh, I had been uh, for a long time on here, as our listeners know, advocating MLS do a deal with either Apple or Amazon. Actually, I had said Amazon for most of that time, uh, but do this sort of deal. Um, so that I'm very very optimistic about, and I think there's also going to be the ability for season ticket holders of MLS clubs to have this package for free. Um, as, as kind of a, a incentive to, to buy season tickets or maintain season tickets and, and uh, all everything living within one app, no more blackouts, all of that is positive. I'll tell you what's negative now. Wait, 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 oh, wait, wait. Okay. <laughs> Before we go there, same, same as you, Kartik. When, when I saw the, the headlines and I, and I was on the call with uh, Don Garber, uh, you mean learning about uh, the announcement, hearing from Apple, getting all the details, you mean 2.5 billion dollars a 10-year deal uh 250 million dollars a year for, for mls this is a big deal i mean like, like you said too apple is a, ma- a great brand it's a quality brand um you mean not everyone's apple fans but they have a huge share in this world in terms of technology they're 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 going to be around for a long time they're not going anywhere uh, this is a company that you can definitely associate with and uh, and ride that because there's a lot of positive things to come out of that brand. Um, but overall, though, too, once I started, it, at first it was very complicated because, okay, all right, the way that MLS explained it in terms of the way it was working, it actually took a while to deconstruct exactly what this is. And I guess let's look at it from the consumer point of view, first of all, Kartik. So if you're a cord cutter, this is fantastic news. You now have an opportunity, if you want to, beginning in 2023, for the next 10 years, to subscribe to a streaming app to watch every single game. No matter where you are in the world, you could be living in uh, Asia, Europe, you mean North America, you name it. You now have access to every single uh, MLS game uh, through, the, through the MLS streaming app, which is available uh, on Apple TV for a price. Now, we don't know what that price is. Uh, we don't know how that's going to work. So that, that, that's the first thing. The second thing of, of that then, too, is that uh, Apple TV Plus, which is their streaming service, now they will show some of the games now and again. So if you're an Apple TV Plus subscriber, which is $5 a month, oftentimes you get kind of that, that for free if you buy an Apple device, uh, you will have access to some of the games, a small number of the games. And also, there will be a small number of games that are going to be available for free. 
uh, in the Apple TV app, you will be able to watch some of the games for free. Now, that's going to be a small number too, but that that's probably uh, in 2023 when the season starts, they're going to start using that. I mean, basically kind of say, hey, watch the game for free. If you like the service, go ahead and subscribe, and then we'll find out what the price is. So from the consumer point of view, this is um, this, this removes blackouts, no blackouts, which is a big deal for a lot of soccer fans in the United States. You can't see your local team uh, for, for a number of different reasons, Where depending on where you live. Now, you, you don't need a VPN. You don't need to figure out illegal streaming. You can watch these legally. So I, I think from the consumer point of view, it's positive. In terms of if, if you're a cord cutter or someone that's a kind of streaming proficient, However, the price, I mean, that's the thing. We don't know what the price is. You mentioned, too, that the season ticket holders will get um, this Apple TV streaming service, uh, this MLS streaming service for free. We don't know in terms of season ticket prices. Will those prices go up? I I would imagine they would. um, But that's a good idea. I mean, if you're a season ticket holder, you now have access to all the games and that hopefully will help grow the audience, too. I mean, there's, there's no obstacles there other than price. So on the positives, Kartik, I think from the consumer point of view, this this is a good good thing. Um, the biggest thing, like like you too, I did a little, little bit of a walk back too, because as I was deconstructing it, analyzing this, uh, all the numbers, analyzing all the details, I started to figure out. I was like, but what about the, the linear side? We don't know the television side at all, and it's going to be weeks before there is a deal done on the TV side. So. In many ways, Kartik, what I think has happened here is that MLS knew that they were in a corner. MLS uh, started negotiations last summer with ESPN, Fox, and Univision. Uh, they were told to wait after the Premier League deal was done. Then they've been going back and forth. And, and the reality is, like, like you said too, ESPN said they're not interested in streaming any games. They did not bid for the uh, streaming rights. Fox has been very lukewarm, back and forth. Yeah, we're interested. We're not really interested. We're not really focused on club soccer. We're we're more focused on big international soccer events. Univision is interested, for sure, because of the League's Cup. Uh, But in our interview with, uh, or discussion with uh, Felipe Cardenas, uh, they wanted some big changes. They wanted to kind of shake shake the league up a little bit, get the league being more aggressive about calendar changes and about how they marketed uh, the, the, the team and clubs and the league. So I think in many ways that Apple found themselves in a corner where there's very little interest on the TV side. Uh, Turner Sports and Warner Media had acquired the rights to the national team. So now there's less interest in getting the rights to Major League Soccer. And because there's not that much interest on the TV side and because this has been dragging on for months, I think MLS rushed it and said, hey, we can't wait any longer. Let's go ahead and announce that we've got an exclusive deal with Apple uh, on the streaming side. And initially, some of our reservations were, some of the reporting that we did about a month ago was that Apple TV was not sure about this deal because they wanted the global rights and MLS was resistant to that. They didn't want to give the global rights because with the global rights, there comes, you I mean, there, there's a lot there. We, we'll get into that in a little bit too. So I think in many ways, MLS felt themselves in a corner, very little interest on TV. Streaming was interested and they said to Apple, okay, all right, we'll give you everything and $250 million a year for 10 years. Let's go for it. Hoping that maybe this kind of then, I mean, MLS can't wait forever for the TV side. And now they go into the difficult period of trying to try to shop MLS now to TV networks that won't have exclusivity to, to these games. 
Yeah, and, and that's uh, that all mirrors my, my concerns. And let me give you another uh, concern that's come up in my mind the last three days, which is uh, as much as we bash RSNs, uh, I do think that there is some benefit uh, for MLS to have their local teams on the same platform locally on linear television as uh, NHL teams and NBA teams and Major League Baseball teams and leading college programs in those areas. There is sort of a status of being a major league by being on those channels. USL teams are not on those channels. Uh, minor League Baseball teams are not on those channels. Uh, so there's sort of a major league feel to being on RSNs. Now, maybe this is me being old-fashioned having grown up with RSNs. A lot of younger people didn't grow up with RSNs. But I've always thought it's great that MLS gets some promotion on you know, Comcast Bay Area and on uh, the various Fox sports nets throughout the country, which are also showing Dodgers games or, or, uh, or, or uh, Boston Celtics games or whoever, right? So um, I think that that's uh, something that we don't talk about enough. But there's um, – because, I mean, part of this is making sure – MLS and soccer in general as a sport remain registered in the major league department and in the big time department because, Chris, unfortunately, I found in the last couple weeks, uh, much to my surprise, there were still a lot of soccer haters in the U.S. sports media, a lot. A lot more than you would think in 2022. So I'm a little queasy about MLS um, disassociating from the RSNs for that reason. But at the same time, I think on the whole, it's better to have this situation without blackouts, without RSNs also bumping MLS games for uh, those other sports I mentioned. That's another problem historically. Um, uh, then, you know, the continued association. But I do think there could be some some backlash because of it. Yeah, I think, again, for cord cutters, this is a great deal, depending on the price, right? It, it, you have access to all these games. And if the price is reasonable, this this would be a slam dunk for fans of Major League Soccer or, or Major League Soccer clubs. However, if you're a Major League Soccer, you want to make an announcement with everything at the same time. You want to say, hey, all right, here's how it's going to work. Here's the streaming. Apple has that. Now, on the TV side, linear side, ESPN, which which you know from your reporting and my reporting, that ESPN is very interested in, in a smaller package of TV games that that they want, uh, and and will likely get hopefully, um, and will show on US television. But it's going to be a small number, much smaller than it is now. So and then and then Spanish language in terms of Univision, this is what they're going to get. This is how many games that they're going to show, and maybe Fox gets some small package or or something, if anything. But if you're Major League Soccer, you make that announcement all together at the same time, like you did in 2015, when you had Univision, Fox, and ESPN at the table with Don Garber for a major, and with US Soccer, for a major announcement, sitting everyone down together saying, okay, this is exactly how this is going to work. We're in a situation right now, Kartik, where we don't know how this is going to work. If, if, you're, if you're Fox Sports... I mean, how interested are you in getting rights to t t TV rights to some of these games? If you know that, you mean, people can watch it on streaming and can watch it on there, that, that's going to cannibalize your, your, your TV audience. Say, same with uh, ESPN. If you're ESPN, you want to still be in the soccer get business in terms of television and still show soccer on television. But are you willing to pay a lot of money for those rights if you know that those games are also available on Apple TV? 
Um, I don't know. I mean, there's a lot of speculation as to whether uh, people are going to pay for this, pay for the add-on or not. Um, I don't know. I mean, we'll have to see. Uh, A lot of people hesitate about adding another streaming service and then adding an add-on, and then ultimately they do it. So we'll see. Um, Yeah. We won't know for a year. We won't know for a year. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready get 30, ready get 20, 20, 20, ready get 20, 20, ready get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Right, exactly. Well, and that's that's the big thing. So, so again, from the consumer point of view, from streaming, I'm I'm good with that. Um, however, the TV is still a question mark. There's concerns about that, and I think in many ways, MLS needs TV. MLS needs ESPN more than ESPN needs MLS. And what I mean by that is ESPN has a mass massive reach. So if you have your games on ABC or ESPN, or it's on I mean, mentioned on Sports Center. Or you mean you have ESPNFC.com talking about about it? You're very visible. I mean, your games are out there. People are talking about MLS. However, if all the games are on streaming and then ESPN gets a small number of games, and there's less interest in MLS on on the TV side, it's almost like it, it's. I mean, MLS could could get left behind here, Kartik, where you have your hardcore audience streaming. Are you going to be able to win over the the fans to get them to sign up for Apple to to get the MLS? So, so my understanding is that ESPN is still very much and Univision very much in the frame for linear rights, uh, Chris. However, I'm told by uh, a couple of good sources that ESPN, which shows about 40 matches between all their uh, platforms on linear now, wants to drop down to 20 to 25 which is a big cut, and uh, obviously not having a streaming component probably is a disincentive for them. Um, I'm not sure if Fox is even interested anymore. I, no, one, no one seems to want to answer my questions about that. So it's possible Fox is out, that they don't, they don't yeah. want it anymore, which uh, is quite a blow for MLS, I would think. Um, and uh, uh, Univision, I assume, is still uh, interested. I don't know that for sure. And I haven't heard about Turner in a while uh, from talking to people. I, again, I've confirmed this week that ESPN is still interested, but not interested in 
um, as many windows as they have currently. So um, you're basically a streaming property then. I do think, though, um, with, a, with a limited linear presence, you still it's better than not having any linear presence, I, I suppose. But yeah. um, it's not it wouldn't be that terribly different than uh, than uh, uh, what we have with uh, with USL currently, right? USL has something like 10 to 12 matches on uh, on ESPN platforms. Now, granted, none of them are on ABC, and I think MLS, uh, if they do another deal with ESPN, will have games on ABC, and maybe several games on ABC a season still. But um, I, I, I think they're going all in on, on, on streaming and on counting on, and I think this is the key, Chris, counting on the fact their fans are different. Their fans are younger. They're, and this goes back to the whole RSN thing that I laid out. I realize the argument I laid out may not appeal to most MLS fans because they're younger, they're more tech savvy, they're a little hipper, they're more into streaming, and maybe MLS being the first league. And to MLS's credit, they got a lot of attention this week in the mainstream sports business uh, market uh, uh, coverage in terms of doing this deal with Apple, being the first league to go completely in this direction. Um, uh. Maybe they get some some bounce. Uh, particularly with a younger audience. I mean, look, we have to look at it well, both ways. I know that that's yeah, against well, conventional know, but, wisdom, but 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 and that was Don Garber. Don Garber saying like, "Hey, like we're the first league to go to go all streaming." Well, what about the Bundesliga uh, three years ago with ESPN Plus? I mean, people forget about the Bundesliga. They're, they're doing okay, but um, you mean so so a lot of it's some. I mean, that's the thing that uh, that MLS is uh, is a star at is public relations. Uh, Don Garber is a spin spinmeister, a spin master. Uh, you mean in terms of you mean if you listen to him, you mean definitely he he ton of spin like just like Gianni Infantino uh, with FIFA on, on the the World Cup an, um, announcement on, on uh, Thursday. But you said you you said Kartik, MLS is going all in because of the audience, because of the younger demographic, more tech savvy. Uh, you mean more, you know, social media, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I I disagree there. I think I think they're all in because of the money, because nobody else was offering a large amount of money. They know they they need the the huge amount of money in terms of to grow this league in the future, and and they can't rely on expansion fees forever. So at some point, those expansion fees are going to come to an end, or are basically kind of get reduced because there's only so many cities that you're going to have a you mean an MLS league of what forty teams. So I, they're all in, not because of uh, the audience. They're all in because of, of the money. And I think the audience, yes, younger, tech-savvy, et cetera, yeah. et cetera, probably more likely to stream illegal, illegally. So I don't know. So I, I, so I disagree there. The, the, the last thing here, Kartik, before we move on, is um, the question of production. And we haven't even talked about this. As part of this deal, MLS is going to be producing the games themselves, uh, and it's likely that they will probably uh, pick and choose some of the the local stars from the, around the United States, but it'll all be centralized. Uh, roughly, roughly about half of the games are going to be uh, produced uh, on site, where they'll have people on site. Uh, but but the other half are going to be basically kind of off the monitor in, in a studio. And MLS is is responsible for the production. That that is a definitely. That's a concern I have, Kartik. I mean, how does MLS know how to produce soccer? Because if you look at MLS's back, 
That was an ESPN production. ESPN went ahead, working hand-in-hand very closely with with MLS, but that was an ESPN baby. They they managed that whole thing and pulled it off, and and it was just an amazing uh, accomplishment. However, does MLS... Is MLS going to pick, kind of cherry pick those uh, commentators or co-commentators that you mean are kind of blah that don't really have any opinions that are going to be just just a name, not not really any any value, or what is that production going to look like? Yeah, that's a very very valid concern. I think also there's a monetary concern. Maybe we'll get into that on a future episode. Uh, I have to go back and and cross my T's and dot my eyes before I, I get too deep into that issue, but I, I have some experience knowing uh, about the production costs for uh, local broadcasts like this and centralizing production. So uh, it's not going yeah. to be cheap, so that a, a chunk of that 250 a year is going to come out on this, and then I think your point about commentators, very well taken. And uh, we have seen this over and over again with leagues that centralize production, that the quality of commentator, the commentator goes from being a um, someone with uh, a certain degree of critical analysis, particularly the co-commentators, to being a cheerleader or a propagandist for the product. And I include uh, what USL has done with their centralized production in that. You can't criticize USL uh, in any fashion. I mean, we saw it with... Uh, uh, with, with, with Kate Markgraf, right, when she got taken off uh, a broadcast, although she's now obviously uh, working for U.S. Soccer, but uh, criticized the turf in Louisville. So, and, and there have been other examples that I'm aware of. So uh, this is a major, major concern, particularly for a league that's so, as you mentioned with Don Garber's public relations savvy, so concerned about anything said about it. Now, this having been said, Chris, I, in the last few years I've noticed MLS – has allowed more critiques and criticisms to go, right? And they've allowed more kind of um, individualism or, 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 or edginess than they previously did. They're less insecure about that than they were seven, eight years ago. So that's a positive. But I still think it's a major, major concern. You raise a huge issue that I think you, you and I will probably be talking about for the next few years on this show. Yeah, production also because it's Apple, right? There's a um, an expected quality level uh, from Apple users in terms of using the interface and and the the software and the hardware and the programs that Apple TV Plus, as one example on on the streaming side, show it's top quality. So it, it's really important that that MLS uh, puts a lot of energy and resources into that uh, to actually really pull off a really good production. Having said that, though, too, that takes money away from the money they're getting from from Apple because MLS is footing the bill. So do they try to cut corners and uh, simplify it and not bring in the top talent? Um, we'll probably get into that a little bit in, in the uh, listener mailbag. Uh, before we move on, and, and, and actually, Kartik, you, uh, yeah, you mentioned in terms of uh, kind of an- analyzing this further, you can expect stories at worldsoccertalk.com uh, as well as on the podcast too where we'll get deeper into this because it, it is a fascinating topic and it's something that's still not done, right? With the TV side, the linear side, we still don't have the answers there and bet, depending on what happens on that side, that could have a big impact too. So it's uh, interesting timing and I think it's great that MLS has finally got it done. However... You mean MLS going to market and announcing this without having the whole big picture complete 
is a worrying sign. And, and again, we'll get in, more into this in, in the stories at worldsoccertalk.com. Kartik, looking at this weekend, uh, actually, before we go to this weekend, I, I don't want to spend like too long on this one, but we have to talk about uh, UEFA Nations League. Uh, we've been watching it intent- intently the last two weeks. I, I've enjoyed it. I've watched a lot of the games, but oh my words, England was absolutely pathetic. Yeah, I've watched uh, most of the games, and, and uh, it, it, it's. Uh, I'll admit, I mean, maybe this is where I can be accused of being a Euro snob. I know there were World Cup qualifiers that determined World Cup uh, who was going to the World Cup on Monday and Tuesday. You were probably watching those matches, Chris. I was watching the yep. Nations League at the same time. I, I have to admit that. I raise my hand and plead guilty. Uh, one one day was France Croatia. I wasn't going to miss that a rematch of the last World Cup final, and then the next day was England. Playing playing Wales, playing Germany, Italy. Um, yeah, so on England, real quickly, don't want to spend too much time on this, but the English media, they have a field day whenever England isn't doing well. Uh, for those who think uh, people are critical of the U.S. of the U.S. national team, you haven't seen anything yet. Um, right now, we've got a there's a view in England that uh, uh, either people have entrenched behind Southgate, and I, I tend to be pro-Southgate. I, I think he's more than earned. He has credit in the bank. He's earned the right to continue in this job, and, and quite frankly, I like him because he's a very cosmopolitan, tolerant kind of New England. Uh, it reflects the New England as the manager. Uh, but my goodness, the British press is going on and on about his position. In the wake of uh, England has gone, uh, um, their performances have been uh, increasingly poor. The seven last seven matches they've had against better opposition, they have only one win, which was in the friendly against Switzerland. This, the last six or seven really high-end competitive matches, last six competitive matches, uh, they don't have uh, against good opposition. Uh, Hungary three times, Germany once, Italy once, Poland once, they don't have a win, right? They have three... Uh, uh, Four draws in there, and they have the two losses to Hungary uh, in there. So uh, there is are some warning signs. Uh, real quickly, I think the only two things Southgate can really change, or maybe three things, are we don't know why James Madison isn't in this team. I assume it's something personal, James Madison of Leicester. He does give England, uh, Chris, potentially something creatively that will be very different than what they're getting out of Mount and Foden and other guys playing in an advanced central midfield position. Grealish uh, also among them. Grealish is a guy that we know Southgate doesn't really like. Uh, Eric Dyer, who Southgate liked in 2018, uh, seemingly has not liked since. I think he would really help. Not sure why he isn't getting called in. And then maybe if you're Southgate, in spite of their form at Man Man United, you have to roll the dice and take either Rashford or Sancho to the tournament. Because I can see very easily... Now, obviously, they open with Iran. That's a match they should win. But after that, they play the U.S. and they play Wales. I, I, at this point, am not sure I would even favor England against Wales. And maybe they're a slight favorite against the U.S. Uh, But based on recent form, I think England could lose both those matches. Um, And certainly, I think the Wales match, I would, at this point, Chris, you probably don't want to hear this because you'll think it's a jinx. I would pick Wales if I had to pick one or the other at this point. Based on the the squads, the way the squads are playing, how good, uh, I think... 
some of those Welsh players will be come November. We've talked about Brendan Johnson before. So I think uh, in spite of backing Southgate, I would say some of the critiques are warranted, and he's going to have to make those changes. He's going to have to bring Dyer back into the team. He's going to have to give Madison a look unless there's some disciplinary thing we don't know about. Um, but there hasn't been any issue that we know about with Madison at Leicester, so I don't get right. that. And then, obviously, as I mentioned, right, Rashford and Sancho. Yeah, so so Kantig, I I think in many ways England needs to erase exactly what happened in the UEFA Nations League for like the last month, basically. Um, and then when they come back in September for the next uh, run of UEFA Nations League games, I mean, Gareth Southgate has to have some introspection in terms of some of his choices. And at that point, you hope that the players, well rested after after a summer break, um, and then just the early part of the season for the for the Premier League teams, will be ready to actually play much better than they did uh, this past uh, this, these past few weeks. What I would say that the only light of, of, of shining light that came out of these England games, uh, anyone who who watched it um, on Fubo TV was the co-commentator, Paul Robinson, uh, making his debut as a co-commentator. And I thought he was really, really good. I thought this was uh, definitely a breath of fresh air, uh, teamed with Peter Drury. But uh, Paul Robinson had some really good insights. And uh, it got a bit painful in that Hungary match, the, the, the second of, of the Hungary matches. But I thought the other games, he was, he was fantastic. Yeah, and, and uh, this is a preview for, for NBC viewers here in the States. Uh, when you're paired with Peter Drury... Uh, As a co-commentator, you stand out. He sets you up well. This is why, as you keep saying, Chris, he's one of the best uh, in the English language. Uh, One real quick point again, Chris, I don't want to belabor this, but the the, the Southgate defenders in the British press have used the excuse uh, that this is after a long season. Everybody in Europe is having these matches after a long season. Every Hungarian player just went through a long season, yet they beat England twice in the last uh, 10 days. So um, I, I, that excuse I don't really buy. I mean, Wales, they had a long season, all those Welsh players. Look at how well they played in the last uh, uh, 10 days. All right, Kartik, let's look to uh, matches to watch this weekend. What's your recommendation? Yeah, so this match has been moved from ESPN2 to ESPN, Detroit and El Paso, USL, noon on Saturday, uh, the 18th. Uh, Really, really great opportunity for those of you not familiar with the atmosphere at Detroit City home matches at Kenilworth Stadium to get a look at it on uh, big ESPN, on on linear television. So highly recommend that. Uh, Less for the match and more for the atmosphere. It's funny too, Kartik, because the, my recommendation was a different game. But based on your recommendation, I'm changing my recommendation and, and going with yours. And I, I, I second it. Um, the at- match atmosphere, yes, definitely from Detroit, which is always r- really entertaining. Uh, definitely very different than what we're used to seeing in U.S. soccer. But also for a lot of l- listeners too, I'm sure this is a great opportunity to watch USL Championship on, on ESPN on uh, noon on Saturday Eastern Time. All right, just one piece of news, and this is an interesting piece of news, but it it is important to definitely let uh, listeners know. And that peak, and that that is that Peacock, Peacock uh, is planning uh, to end free Peacock Premium for Xfinity customers at some point in the future. So this was uh, this came from a uh, a call this week in regards to looking ahead to the future and how Peacock's doing and how how well it's doing, etc., etc. However. Many of the people that have Peacock Premium have it for free. If you have a, if you if you get Xfinity, whether it's uh, internet or Xfinity on cable, 
and NBC, Universal, and, and Comcast looking to the future, looking at the possibility of going ahead and uh, actually charging customers uh, of Xfinity to have access to Peacock Premium. What, is it, what does this mean for soccer? Well, most of the listeners who are Premier League fans you mean, probably watch Peacock Premium, a lot of the Premier League games on there. And if you're a Comcast Xfinity customer, there could come a point in time in the near future where you may have to actually start paying $5 a month to have access to that, where previously it would have been available for free as part of your Xfinity subscription. And, and Chris, this is a pretty big deal uh, because I know a lot of people who have Comcast who uh, have continued their Premier League fandom while kind of dropping off of other leagues uh, because of uh, the streaming situation, La Liga, Bundesliga, everything being on ESPN+, Plus, because they have that uh, as part of uh, Xfinity. And so it's a potential, Mm -hmm. potential issue for the Premier League going forward. All right, let's move on to listener mailbag. This week, we have several new letters from brand new listeners, which is wonderful news. Um, there's a lot to get into here. So uh, first up is uh, Bradley, who shares some opinions about uh, our discussion about Ola White uh, from last week. And he says, this week, I have to take umbrage with some of the uh, uh, hyperbole, uh, hyperbole sorry, about uh, Ola White that both of you discussed. First, Chris, I'm not sure the timeline matches up for Ola to have stayed quiet about mentioning the Saudis during Premier League broadcasts in order for him to later get a job working for Live golf. Phil Mickelson was hired in October 2021, right around the time of the Newcastle takeover. I think Phil was more interested in getting players and events courses lined up before he began to discuss broadcasters. I'm sure initially Live Golf hoped that they'd be able to work uh, with the PGA and its broadcasters. Only later did the PGA shift entirely away, which may then have led to Arlo being asked, as he is an outsider. I'm not an inside source, but unless one day Arlo admits it, that's dubious speculation. Second, I don't think Arlo doing the Live Golf Tour is going to hurt his chances to get MLS and potentially World Cup broadcasts for two reasons. One, I think we're in a prisoner of the moment mode as this tour has just kicked off. In a few months, we'll be on to another news story and Arlo's involvement will not be seen as an issue. And two... The World Cup broadcaster is Fox, whose 2018 World Cup broadcasters, uh, broadcasts were pretty forgiving of, uh, of Putin and company and will likely have the same ethos for its Qatar coverage. I'm not sure the Saudis is where Fox would draw the line. The only way Fox intentionally leaves him out is if the Saudi government's royal family uh, pulls a specific heinous act in the next five months that grabs worldwide attention, similar to the murder of uh, Khashoggi, as then any relation to a Saudi-backed entity will be de- deemed toxic. But if it happens, if, if nothing happens, we'll all forget. I doubt Arlo ever covers a golf major or PGA event, but soccer, it won't make a difference. So, Kartik, um, well, actually, Kartik, let me go to you first. <laughs> what do you think? Do you, do you think Arlo has, has an opportunity? Do, do you think a broadcaster in the United States would hire Arlo White either for MLS or World Cup games? Uh, it, it, is a, it is a good point, I guess, that we're a prisoner of the moment and we're saying this uh, 
in the moment, Bradley. But at the same time, this live golf uh, uh, controversy seems to keep raging, right? It's not, it's not, it wasn't a one or two day news story. And in fact, it became a mainstream news story in the United States and in the United Kingdom. I mean, I get these alerts. Uh, I'd wake up in the morning and get, have these alerts from the Telegraph and from the Guardian uh, to UK publications on different sides of the political fence. Uh, that would be uh, on top, ahead of like Russia, Ukraine and Boris Johnson, uh, other than the no confidence vote. They're talking about this and I'm seeing the same thing in the US. So I, I think it's going to be tough. Now, maybe in a year uh, it would be different. Maybe when this Apple package starts for um, – for uh, MLS, but the World Cup for Fox may be too soon. I think that that's a, that's a potential issue. And then I, I think another potential issue actually with that, I don't want to get too deep into this, is the Saudi-Qatari uh, relationship to begin with. I mean, having Arlo White, who's working effectively for the Saudi Sovereign Wealth Fund, calling these uh, golf uh, tournaments, <laughs> going to Qatar and calling matches. Maybe he could do it from the monitor in, in, in Los Angeles, right? Uh, maybe he could do that or in London. But uh, I think that might be an issue too for, for, for Qatar. Um, yeah, yeah, and, and Bradley definitely. I mean, things will calm down a little bit, I'm sure, in the coming months. However, I, th- I still think that uh, fans will not forget this, and and more so the broadcasters. So, if you're Apple, who has a even good PR, has a positive um, kind of uh, public relations, you mean there's not a lot of controversy with Apple. Uh, same thing with MLS. These are two companies that uh, have a very positive image for the most part. Not everyone loves them, but for the most part, they don't uh, strike a lot of controversy. So I think in many ways, if you did have Arlo White go to MLS and Apple, that would be very controversial. That would look make Apple look bad. That would make MLS look bad. There'd be a lot of people questioning why is he broadcasting games for MLS. Uh, and it could cause people to, to actually pre- stop them from subscribing or watching uh, that league uh, or that service because of one person. However, on the Fox side, Fox is all about controversy. So whether it's uh, Piers Morgan in the past, having him do games for Fox Sports, uh, doing FA Cup uh, finals and all sorts of things for U.S. soccer. I think Fox is okay with controversy and p- politics. Uh, your points are, are, are definitely good, Kartik, in terms of uh, the Saudis and Qatar and that, those relationships too. But Fox, that's a possibility. Maybe World Cups he would do, but I, th- I think in many ways there's a lot of people, a lot of broadcasters that would not touch uh, Arlo White right now and probably not for the next several months. From what one of my sources, he told me that um, in terms of the Live Golf opportunity, Live Golf went through a long list of people before they got to Arlo White. All the people above Arlo White that had opportunities to actually uh, commentate Live Golf said no. I'm not. I'm, I'm not going to take it. No way. Wow. Until they came. Until they came to Ola White, and Ola White uh, went ahead and accepted the terms. So, so I think it's it's one of those. It's it's one of those things that uh, as a. A, t- a talent as a broadcaster, you have to be really careful about these things. So, so, so basically, Chris, uh, uh, just uh, to, to 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 interpret that, that probably means each one of those commentators uh, felt like there might be or would be a backlash against them and career opportunities going forward that would be impacted if they took this. Okay, yeah, that's big. Yeah, yeah. yeah. All right, next up is Nick. Nick says, long-time listener of the podcast, but I just had to rant about Fox Sports. They are an absolute disgrace of a sports broadcaster. The amount of Nations League games that either stopped completely 
Bosnia against uh, Finland, for example, and didn't come back or cut out during the game for several minutes is insane. I watched uh, Nations League for the past three years on ESPN Plus and never had a technical issue. Also, for the big games, they sometimes skip the national anthems and lineups and jump right to kickoff. Uh, this happened with the New Zealand-Costa Rica match in the uh, Intercontinental Playoff Final. This is a game for a place in the World Cup, and they couldn't even get the broadcast up early enough to show the lineups and national anthems. Another thing I can't stand is John Strong and Stu Holden co- constantly shoehorning the U.S. men's national team into every broadcast they do. It could be a team versus Fiji, and Strong will find some ridiculous way to throw in a useless stat about the U.S. men's national team. They are, so, they are clearly only interested in every narrative revolving around the U.S. men's national team, when in reality the soccer world could care less about the U.S. I don't think people tuning in to watch an UEFA Nations League game need to hear a little pointless soundbite from Stu Holden or John Strong about the USMNT. Also, a special shout out to Rob Stone, who is about as clueless as it gets. Unfortunately, everyone will have to sit through these clowns for the next couple of World Cups and European Championships because Fox, for some reason, keeps bidding for soccer rights with absolutely no intention of making good use of them. Looks like I will be watching in Spanish from here on out. Let's move on, Kartik. We've got a lot to get to. Next up is Greg. Greg says, uh, thanks always for taking the listeners' questions. I have to say that it annoys me when I hear commentators and soccer analysts mock the CONCACAF uh, Nations League and Gold Cup, and then in the next breath, talk up UEFA and all the competitions that they have. At this point, UEFA already has the Euros, the UEFA Nations League, and also took part in the uh, Finalissima uh, with Conor Bowl. There have been reports that Conmebol could enter the UEFA Nations League eventually as well, and it's clear they are looking to partner further since they're setting up a joint office in London. So my question is, what other confederations, aside from UEFA and uh, Conmebol, what are they supposed to do? Not play games? Give up soccer? Just watch European and South American teams play? In my opinion, the rest of the confederations should continue to develop their own tournaments, and they should also start working together to create some interesting competitions that occur between World Cups. There is no reason uh, to not reach out and to work together to perhaps create something new and interesting. Just because you are not invited to the party with the popular kids doesn't mean you need to stay home uh, all night. Find some friends, get some food, drink some music and create your own party. Soon enough, the party you're throwing might turn into the better one anyway. You never know. Good points there uh, by Greg Kartik. Um, part of, I think part of the issue, though, to, to me, though, is that CONCACAF copies UEFA. I mean, down to the names. I mean, USL does this too, right? So, you mean, UEFA creates the Nations League, so uh, CONCACAF creates the CONCACAF Nations League. Uh, UEFA comes up with the idea of doing the UEFA Nations League, so CONCACAF creates the CONCACAF Nations League, so on and so forth. I I think in some ways, to me, I think, I mean, CONCACAF is what it is, and it's very different than UEFA or Conmebol in terms of the the level of teams that they have and the number of teams that they have. Yeah, but the Nations League, I think, is a good thing for CONCACAF. It's given a lot of island nations an opportunity to play matches that are meaningful against uh, and home and away and and, uh, against 
uh, nations their same level. And it also really helped grow Canada to where they became this juggernaut in World Cup qualifying and won uh, the hexa or the octagonal, right? Um, now, my problem is with the Gold Cup. The Gold Cup continues to be a competition held in the United States. It, it continues to be a competition which... Um, effectively, uh, I think, is a, is a cash grab. Uh, and that's why it's held every two years and why it's always held in the United States. So I, I agree and I disagree. I completely agree on Nations League. We should not be condescending towards CONCACAF Nations League. I give CONCACAF full credit for the initiative with that, even though, as you said, Chris, you're copying UEFA. But Gold Cup, I think, has to be totally changed. To me, it's becoming an increasingly useless tournament, particularly in the, in the years during World Cup qualifying when everyone's fielding B teams. And it's being still held because it's quite frankly a cash grab all right so we have a ton more letters so what i'm going to do is just read two more and then i'll save the the next uh round for next week and then uh of course listeners you can always uh sh share your comments and questions and feedback too and, and we'll read those out next week so uh next up is uh randy uh, a new listener and he says i just found you guys after desperately trying then dumping several u.s-based soccer podcasts most are yell fests, TV shows just dumped into a podcast, or basically gambling podcasts disguised as soccer podcasts. So thank you for uh, doing what you do. I'm a former USAN, now living in Mexico, and my question pertains to broadcast rights for the UEFA Champions League here in Mexico. Warner Brothers Discovery won the rights through 2024 here, and they broadcast across TNT Sports Mexico and HBO Max. TNT is available on basic cable and I believe on all of the basic uh, satellite subscription providers. HBO Max is a streaming service and, of course, costs an extra subscription fee. What Turner did and will continue to do, I suppose, is split the Champions League matches across both platforms, thus basically reducing the number of games available by half if one cannot or will not pay the additional fee. Why, while I luckily uh, can afford it, I refuse to subscribe on principle and know the only bar in my area that shows games also opted out. My question is, especially in economically depressed areas such as, as Mexico, where every peso matters, uh, but that has a football mad population, wouldn't the Champions League in game sponsors take issue with this? At least anecdotally, these global brands lost a non-zero number of eyeballs for half of the games and will maybe not have them over the next couple of years. It seems as if UEFA, uh, uh, who sell sponsorships, are not are not the same people who sell broadcast rights. But that would be a totally dumb way to do things from a sponsor's perspective. So, um, so good feedback there from Randy about uh, HBO Max. We're running out of time, so I will go ahead and answer this one, Randy. And and that is, I think, at the end of the day. Um, UEFA, you would hope, cares about the number of eyeballs, number of people watching these broadcasts, but ultimately they they care more about how much money um, the actual media giants are uh, bidding on the rights, and then ultimately the media uh, giants have to then dis uh, decide, okay, how do we go ahead and monetize this? So we do ha half the games on TV, and we get advertising revenue, and then the other half on streaming. And I think in many ways, UEFA would know those plans, but wouldn't be as concerned about that. Um, I mean, basically, at the end of the day, unfortunately, a lot of these businesses are in there to make money. And I, and I think that's what drives things rather than driving the audience in many ways. Um, and last but not least, uh, MLS, there's a, a question here. This is probably, Kartik, a good one for you, too, uh, before we sign off. This is from Kyle. 
He says, with the recent announcements of MLS going to Apple TV and U.S. Soccer's, soccer games going to Turner, what would be the best fit for Taylor Twellman? To go to Turner and be the voice of U.S. Soccer? To go to Fox, starting with the World Cup and be an analyst? Stick, stick with ESPN and do random FA Cup and League Cup matches? Or work with Apple TV uh, and work on MLS uh, marquee games? So the big problem, I think, and this is a larger conversation, maybe maybe we do a whole podcast on this, Chris, is the dispersion of soccer media rights in this country to var- all these various entities is also going to affect the talent maybe that calls some of these matches and is in the studio for this and also the promotion of the sport. Truthfully, I mean, I like the options and choices, but I think it also complicates things in if you had everything consolidated on, let's say, ESPN and CBS, since they're the two that have the most rights, at least in the club game, then I think you have a, uh, a, 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 a real commitment to promotion of the sport and hiring the top talent by those networks and by those media companies. Now, the rights are dispersed all over the place. Fox is becoming more and more just uh, the place to, to watch international matches. Uh, Turner has carved its own niche with the U.S., uh, and that's just international also, right? And then NBC has isolated itself by just doing the Premier League, but then they require a certain uh, level of talent uh, and, and, and type of talent for that. So I think uh, I, I can't answer the question as to what would be best for Twelman. Um, but uh, I hope he gets the opportunity to do more than just what he's limited to at ESPN currently. And uh, this, I think, is a larger question, Chris, something we probably need to spend a whole other show on about the rights being dispersed all over the place, which wasn't the case uh, that long ago. Not, not that long ago, ESPN and Fox were it for, for soccer. Then NBC got involved. Then Turner got involved. Then CBS got involved. Now Apple's involved. Uh, and so this complicates things from, from that perspective. Yeah, no, yeah, good, good points too, and also too, also John, uh, John Champion uh, at ESPN. Um, you mean he's not going to have uh, Euros to call anymore? You mean there's, there's a lot of question marks there too. But, uh, but yeah, no, good points about uh, maybe a future podcast topic there. And I believe after this women's Euros, they're done with that too, right? Because that's technically part of the previous rights package because it was delayed by a year. So that that goes to Fox also after this summer's tournament. Yep, yep, exactly. So, uh, yeah, interesting times ahead. All right, listeners, if you want to uh, share any feedback you have, any questions, uh, any opinions uh, in regards to, especially, I mean, everything we talked about today, but uh, especially in regards to TV or streaming or production or just watching the beautiful game, uh, there's a lot to get to. This is a long episode. And I appreciate you sticking with us. You can reach out to us via email, which is uh, web at worldsoccertalk.com. And then we have facebook.com slash worldsoccertalk. You can message us there. Uh, you can also message us on Twitter at worldsoccertalk. And, uh, of course, you can also post comments on the worldsoccertalk.com website uh, under podcasts. And then just uh, click the uh, latest episode and then post away in the comments section there. Listeners, we really appreciate your time listening to this episode. And Kartik, uh, heading into another weekend of soccer not not as many games but there are plenty of games from Argentina Brazil uh, the United States and many other countries available uh, what are you going to do and what should the listeners do enjoy your football
Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.